This is the Bounce Back Generation podcast. Are born out of a, a society that that that's that's trying to isolate people, right? That's trying to to put you into boxes, right? You have to fit, and you know, high schools and middle schools are notorious for that. Like this, these social constructs that are created. And if you don't fit into them, you're doomed to be chastised. When the reality is, like, no one fits into them. This is the Bounce Back Generation podcast. Have you ever felt left out, bullied, treated as a, quote, other? Most of us probably have at some point in our lives. But the feeling of being othered is out of control these days. Our politics, our economics, our culture is divided into the innies and outies. But belonging is a deep human need because who among us could survive on the planet without the help and support of other people? So we're going to talk today about what we need to do to be more inclusive, where to find our tribe, and how to do all of that while avoiding the very prevalent dark sides of belonging. Matthew Cahill is here today with us, and he is the president and CEO of the Precipio Company, and he spends a lot of time thinking and talking about how to make inclusive work and community spaces. Matthew and I both have dogs who hang out with us, so you might hear some snores and collar shakes from the dog packs we belong to. Matthew, I'm going to let you tell us about your company and your focus on belonging. The Precipio Company, thank you for the intro. We are a consulting agency that builds upon the belief that if you have a brain, you have bias. And we work specifically with organizations to deepen their understanding of how bias is impacting their bottom line. I look forward to unpacking that a little bit more with you and really digging into this idea of belonging because that's been one of the latest developments coming out of the Percipio company. Let's talk about the definition of belonging. How do you define what it means to belong or to be included? Wow. I really appreciate you starting with that because often belonging is just thrown into the mix of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And in some cases, the first three haven't even been properly defined. And now you're just ripe for more errors to take place. So when I talk about belonging, I am talking about that fundamental need that human beings have to feel like they fit somewhere in some context. And I think that belonging, the need, I think that belonging is fueled by a need to be needed. And I think the need to be needed is greater than the need to survive. We live in a world that tries to convince us that we're solo individuals. We're, we're just these isolated individual creatures navigating through our daily lives. And especially in American culture, there's such a deep-seated sense of individualism that it cuts us off from the power of being connected to one another. And, and it renders us almost incapable of thinking collectively or 
it severs us psychologically. And I think that's a one of the common themes when you get into studying why people trend towards depression and suicide and some of the more obvious examples of not belonging, of being detached, right? When somebody is taking their own lives, that's why, that's the evidence that the need to be needed is greater than the need to survive. I think that's right. And I think that it's something that's embedded in our in our DNA. A lot of times when I talk about belonging, I put in the context of kind of an evolutionary perspective that we would not be where we are as a species on this planet if we didn't have this incredibly dire need to be part of something because we could not, none of us could, we can't survive as babies without belonging to a, at least one other person, if not a family. We can't survive without our tribe, our group. So I think it's part of who we are as a species that we need to be thinking that we're all connected in some way, or at least find a place where we're connected. Yeah. Yeah. I, cu I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's, it's an illusion to think that you're alone. And when that illusion takes hold of people, that's when they find themselves just getting into a rut and, and then becomes even more and more challenging to get out of it. Well, and that kind of brings me to the idea that as we, as we are becoming more technologically savvy and all of that, we're so connected in so many ways. We realize that like, I can talk to you, you're we're miles away from each other and we're connected, right? But we're also the negative side of that is that we, if something happens to you and I'm connected to you or I learn of it, I experience some pain from that. If I have empathy or if I know you or if I feel connected to you in some way. And I think that's what we call shared trauma. So right now, I think we are clearly experiencing so many shared traumas, mass shootings, school massacres, horrific war atrocities, COVID. Now we've got monkeypox on the horizon. So as a global community, we're all going through things that feel overwhelming. And our definition for trauma is experiencing things that overwhelm our capacity to cope in that moment. So how does belonging affect our ability to cope? Do you find that it's useful to feel that you belong in order to cope better? Or how do you deal with that? And particularly in a, in a work context. Mm. Well, I, I want to start with the, just a greater social context, because I think just because we, meaning you and I, in an American context, in a digital plugged in environment, feel like we have this global connection, there are still billions of people who don't stay dialed in to the latest things that are happening in involving Texas or in New York, and they're oblivious. So it's not a fair statement to say this is a global phenomenon because it's so prescient in our lives because we're so inundated in this info bubble. It's not, I don't think, fair to extend that to a global context. I think we are connected globally in ways that we've never done before. And I don't think evolutionary we've caught up to the tools and the impact of the tools that we've developed. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. It's that's part of it is my perspective is if something happens in Ukraine or India or China, I I am aware of it, so I'm feeling so I'm assuming that it's back and forth, but it's not necessarily. 
Let's talk a little bit about what you do in a work context in terms of inclusion. And and I wanted you to talk about the, the quiz that you have on your website, which I thought was really great. Can you talk a little bit about that? How you can quiz belonging or test belongings? Yeah, I think that the belonging assessment was born out of the evolution of DEI work. And I think- Can you say what DEI means for for, for, for DEI is this is a is an acronym which I'm guilty of acronym inundation. So, apologies for anybody that didn't quite catch that. DEI is referring to diversity, equity, inclusion, which we can pick out each one. And I'm old enough to remember when diversity was first being introduced and normalized within corporate America. And diversity, the language then, it was couched in, we need to tolerate diversity, which <laughs> I, you tolerate a rash or something that you just want to go away. So it wasn't like diversity was welcomed in corporate America with open arms and an embrace, but it's a byproduct of the changing demographics of the American workforce. And the introduction of more women into the workforce and people of color into the workforce. And in spite of contemporary narratives, really a democratization of the American workforce. That's what I think of when I think of diversity. And it wasn't successful until people started realizing that we need a tightly coupled partnering with this idea of inclusion, right? Diversity by itself doesn't work. We need to have inclusion, which quickly brought in ideas of equity because you can't create inclusive business practices without making the playing field accessible to everyone, to diverse constituents. So DEI is born over a 20, you know, 25 year period of time. You can draw the lines wherever you want, but it's only been recently that organizations are entertaining this idea of belonging, which I think is really audacious. I think it's bold. And I think unless it's explicitly defined as you and I attempted to do at the beginning of this podcast and then measured, right? Like, like that's often the criticism of diversity, equity, inclusion work is it's, it's not measurable. And so what I did is, is set out to try to define it and measure it. And I created the, the four cornerstones of belonging, which build off of traditional DEI work and start with what I'm calling identity, who you are, how you show up in the workplace. You need to have an understanding of what all of that means. And, and that's the first cornerstone for the four elements or cornerstones of belonging are identity, Agency is how well you are able to exercise your skills in the workplace, how capable, confident uh, are you in whatever role you've been assigned, because the role you have is part of your identity. It's an extension of your identity. And if you're not in the right role within an organization, then that could be very problematic. Uh, and, and 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 lead to feelings of exclusion, of being left out. I think the next uh, cornerstone is power. Power is something that exists in every organization, uh, but it's rarely ever consciously sought out. More often than not, it's unconsciously avoided or people are attracted to it 
and they allow it to dictate their relationships, their engagements, their decisions, how they structure meetings, who gets invited. Power is something that's very, very real and very tangible and very diverse in and of itself. And so with those three cornerstones, when you examine them, take a look at them through those lenses, take a look at organizations, you can really calibrate processes, protocols, governance, so that you can create a culture of belonging where people hit that state of flow, where they're really into what they're doing and they love what they're doing. It's aligned with their passions and they belong. It sounds like, so we have diversity, the kind of the history. I love that you went through the history. So diversity wasn't enough it wasn't covering what needed to happen because you needed to be able to include people and then you needed to be able to include them in a way that was fair that was a level playing field so then you have the equity part but i'm sure you're aware and i know i hear this a lot and and we've actually worked with organizations who've gone through this dei training and oftentimes it leaves people feeling angry shameful, blamed, things like that. And so it sounds like what you're doing is taking it to a place where we can look at this as a belonging that all of us deserve to belong. And it's there are many layers of what separate us and layers of, of how we show up. Like you said, that, that we all have a responsibility to think about how am I showing up and how are other people perceiving how I'm showing up, whether I'm a person in power or not a person in power. And I think that's a much more nuanced and valuable way of, of creating a just teams that work or organizations that work because you can go in and tell people don't do this and don't do that, but unless they feel it and they feel like it's for them, nobody's going to adopt it, right? Yeah. I think what you just described can be accurately categorized as compliance training, which every company on the planet, well, not every company on the planet, but American corporations are beholden to certain compliance training courses, which do an admirable job of telling people what not to do. Where I pick up is working with organizations when they want their employees to know what to do. And I think using the language of, of bias is one where you can uh, create common language, create common understanding, and give people opportunities to self-reflect and to see where their own biases are. Because you have a brain, you have bias. That's, that's the approach. And deepening your understanding of where your biases are can allow you and actually empower you to work closer with other people, to strengthen your relationships in the workplace. But all of that takes time and it takes emotional labor, which is it, it isn't often thought of it that way. It's I think when it goes off the rails, it, you can almost pinpoint the origin of the conversation going off the rails partly due to the, a transactional nature. Like we're just trying to you know, have this and get it over with and be done with it uh, rather than looking at it as a longer continuum and how can we strengthen the relationship in the workplace.
So much of that feeling of not belonging that often triggers us as adults comes from our childhood experiences. And I want to talk a little bit about what we can be doing to help kids feel like they belong. It's funny if you ask someone as an adult, tell me about your childhood or tell me about your, your experience in elementary school. So many times the experience that will come up will be like, oh yeah, I was bullied a lot. Oh, I was so different. I was the only one who did this or I was too short or I was too tall or, or I stuttered. Or, And that's the memory that we bring from childhood often in terms of how we related to other people. So what are some thoughts that you might have about how we can think about that othering that we experience in childhood and where it comes from and how we can stop that? This is so damaging. Oh, wow. So I have two children. I can address this first through a parental lens because my children are in the thick of that window of time that you're describing. And usually it's, I think it gets earlier and earlier, like every generation <laughs> before the, the innocence is just lost. And uh, you can say that's part of growing up. That's part of adolescence. There are some there are there's some scientific evidence to show that adolescence it's there's a part of adolescence that is a natural growth state so humans are going through certain changes right the body changes that are happening but the social constructs that they have to go through those in are born out of a a society that that that's that's trying to isolate people right that's trying to to put you into boxes right? You have to fit. And, you know, high schools and middle schools are notorious for that, like this, these social constructs that are created. And if you don't fit into them, you're doomed to be chastised. When the reality is, like, no one fits into them. Right? And nobody, even if they're perceived to fit into them, they don't feel like they fit into it. And so it's a really peculiar time. And I think what's sorely lacking are rituals in our society, rituals that allow children to, you know, to, to have a, a better sense of their own identity, mm -hmm. to, to know where their boundaries are, like where their sense of agency is. These types of rituals exist in other cultures, but we, you know, for whatever reason have not, uh, you know, landed upon them in, in American cultures. What, what are some examples of those kinds of rituals? I mean, I, I think some easy ones are like, you know, in Jewish traditions, they have a bar mitzvah or a bar mitzvah. Uh, in in uh, some Latin American traditions, they do quinceañeras for, for girls, right? Uh, I think in our culture, you know, like, what do we have in America, right? We, you get a driver's license at 16, which is in and of itself crazy, that we're allowing a 16 year old to, to become like this 3000 pound weapon driving around with all sorts of distraction. Like it's, it's, it's really surreal what, how we landed upon these things uh, in our society. I don't think we really thought them through very well. L learning to vote, like ending high school. There are certain things I think that are ritualistic, but, they weren't really thought through in a meaningful way to give a young person a true rite of passage to deepen their understanding of who they are and accept what kind of responsibility they're stepping into in the world. 
Yeah, I mean, it's ironic that in order to belong, you have to step outside of the belonging and know yourself. I was actually telling my son the other day that I remember being in high school, we moved around a lot. And one year, my junior year of high school, I decided again, we were moving again, and I just couldn't go through the whole process of getting, you know, making friends and all that. And I made a decision that I wasn't going to make any friends. I was going to go to school and I was going to come home and I was going to read and, and I, and that I wasn't going to care about being part of a group. And it was very freeing. It was great. And I, I eventually towards middle, towards the end of the year, I made some friends and it was all nice and good, but, but that need to be an individual in order to then become okay with not being part of the group or with being part of the group that that really um, resonates with you as opposed to I just got to be part of a group. Yeah, yeah. I think too often children aren't empowered to really know where they end and others begin. <laughs> and that goes right back into their home where you, a lot of parents don't know where they end and their children begin. They take way too much pride in their children's good accomplishments and then way too much blame when their children make mistakes that had nothing to do with them. That's a whole process that takes years. That's the the hard teenage years is that separation, like go away, no, come back. And you don't know. What do you want? So let's talk a little bit just more on that theme of belonging. And we can think about it from a high school perspective, but we can also think about belonging as in a very, there's a dark side to belonging that I see happening all around us in the times that we live in now. And that's that groups create a sense of connection that's based around hate or conspiracies mm -hmm. or crazy cults and things like that. And that, that the process of giving people a place to belong or a sense of belonging is, is not a mystery. People do it all the time. To sell you a product, they try to say, oh, you're, you're, you buy this, you're part of our, our family of people who use this product. So how do you think about that, about the, the negative ways that we can be allured to do things because maybe we're so longing to belong that we put ourselves in a very vulnerable position? My first thought is, uh, I, I wonder if... Um... You know, there's more of that in the world now, or is it just that we are exposed to more incidents of it? And I think the same, that's my first thought is like, where, what's the reality of this? If we're going to talk in a historical context, when you're, when you hear today, we live in such a polarized nation. I have to imagine if I were alive in 1865, uh, I might feel a little differently that what we have today isn't actually as polarized as it once was. But I think when I look at a broader context, we live in a very toxic society that breeds stuff like that through what we legislate and what we allow and what we are sold. And it goes through all, it starts, I think, with obvious examples of the last few weeks. But yet, if you step back and look, you touched on it. We're sold a bill of goods that we're not good enough, that we're less than. And when you're immersed in that kind of information messages on a daily basis, it takes its toll on your psyche. Do you think that we have a solution or a cure for loneliness? 
I do actually. I think it's I my view of these big grand technologies that we live in right now that we take for granted, right? Are are extensions of ourselves. Right? We create things going all the way back to wheels are extension of our feet. Fire, you know, is an extension of the heat that comes out of our body. It allows us to control things in our external environment. And it takes a while for us to humans uniquely to catch up with these tools that we develop. And I think we're still catching up, right? Like, like we don't know the longstanding impact of, of just being exposed to this much media, right? And the potential damage that, that we're doing to ourselves. I think we can create incredible connection with one another through digital mediums, right? Like I've made great, you and I are a great example. We would not be having this conversation right here, right now, if it weren't for digital mediums, right? And this is a great connection. So we have the capability of creating incredible connections and I, I have to believe that we're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way, but continue to evolve so that we will have greater sense of belonging in multiple contexts, in and out of the workplace. I love that you say that because I talk to a lot of people who say these kids are growing up in this technological world and they just, they don't know how to be friends and be connected. And I'm saying there was a time when there was no phone and they said, oh my God, a telephone, you know, you got to meet people in person. And I think now of having a conversation on a telephone is having very intimate conversation with somebody, maybe not as great as person, but it's certainly not a, you know, low level kind of connection. It's a great connection to have a phone call with somebody. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that we have to adapt and we have to, and we have to allow our technology to be a true extension of ourselves. Um, and, and anything can be abused to separate us, but I don't think that that's, uh, that's where we're headed, hopefully. So one final question would be, do you have any advice for people to, feel more of a sense of belonging. If somebody's saying, look, I do recognize that I need to feel more connected to people outside of my myself. I need that support. What would you give as advice for someone feeling that way? Mm. Jennifer, I try never to give advice because the wise don't need it and the ignorant won't heed it. I think if you are someone that's looking for to deepen your own sense of belonging, I would suggest just starting with those that are closest to you and really taking a moment to not take what you have for granted. And this draws on our tribal nature, which is to which is where I think a sense of belonging stems from, is take an inventory of your closest relationships and who are they and, and acknowledge it. Put yourself out on a limb and express yourself in some way that perhaps you haven't in quite some time. And you'd be surprised what doors that will open up and what that leads you to in your next conversation after that. Or I think it's, that's a good place to start. Is there anything that you uh, didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to say? You know, what, what's the world going to look like in 10 years, 20 years? I think there's a lot of current narratives built on fear that we're, we're just slipping into some dystopian way of being. 
Uh, it's a very prevalent in fiction, in film, in storylines, zombie apocalypse. Like there's all sorts of narratives that just show the demise of human beings. But I bristle at that. I think we are evolving and, and we're conscious creatures driven by unconscious motivations. The bias in my work is to explore those unconscious biases. Like what are the things that are really moving you to do what you do? And the more we do that, the more we discover the strength in our flaws and, and being able to share those and heal from those in many cases just makes you a, a better human being. The more that we all engage on that process, the better off we'll be collectively. That's really great. So many times when we talk about these subjects, people might say, well, that's kind of woo woo, or it's just, you know, touchy feely. And I always come back and say exactly what you're saying that we are on, we continue to evolve. Human, we're human beings are, everything on this planet continues to evolve and adapt and part of, and, and adapt. And part of that is understanding how our ourselves work, how we as humans work. And the more we understand that, and I love that that saying that you have, that if you have a brain, you have bias, understand your own brain, that it's, that's just how it works to have bias. It's not a judgment. It's how we are. It's how we protect ourselves. If that thing happened to me, or if I was told that was dangerous, now I'm going to have a bias towards it. And I just have to examine it, pull it out, look at it, take it apart and re rejigger it. And that's what we do as evolving creatures. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I think, you know, on that same note, and I guess we can wrap it up here. We, we haven't always known that we're a little speck in the universe. We haven't always known, you know, that, that we are these finite creatures. And so I think for much of our human evolution, we had this, this delusion, not even illusion, a delusion that we're it. And, and I think the more, the deeper you go in your own self-reflection, the more you realize that we really do need each other. And we really do need to move beyond our own sense of self, because that's really where joy and happiness resides. That's right. I 100% agree. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and to get, take out this whole concept of belonging and really look at it closely. I really appreciate you being here. One more thing before you go, we always ask our guests to tell us who made a difference in your life. The reason we do that is when we talk about small, powerful things, if you think about who made a difference in your life, oftentimes it's a small thing that someone did. It can be even a, you just tell me who made a difference in your life. What's so many people, I was very blessed to have some great mentors and role models and teachers. And if I, do I have to narrow it down to one person? <laughs> the person who pops up in your head, because obviously we have, all of us have lots of, or hopefully have lots of people, but usually what will happen is some one person will pop up in your head for today and be your kind of person that you're going to honor with that memory. I'm going to give a shout out to my brother. He is nine years older than I am. And my family had boom, 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 three kids, 
boom, boom, my parents, three kids, boom, boom, boom. And then eight years went by and then me. So I always like to point to that as evidence of Catholic birth control. And you can read into that whatever you want. But my brother throughout my lifetime, there's been different moments where he just had an impact on me and my development. And he may not even be aware of it. So maybe at some point he's listening to this and, and would just appreciate the acknowledgement of being a, a great big brother. That's great. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We at Bounce Back Generation really appreciate everyone who's been listening to our podcast, going to our websites, um, and checking out our YouTube channel. We really appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Um, and if you're on our YouTube channel, which is BBGTVORG, um, make sure to like and follow uh, us there. Um, we are a nonprofit, and we're doing this work through grants and uh, donations, mostly from people like you. So if you're interested in supporting the work that we do, we would love it if you went to our website, bouncebackgeneration.org. You can learn more about us. And there you'll find a donate button on the top right-hand side or go to the donate page. And take advantage of all of the resources that we have for anyone, whether you're 16 years old or 26 or 66. Our resilience building tools are created not just by our youth content creators, but by experts in their fields. So you're going to learn a lot about resilience, about trauma, about handling our mind-body connection, about understanding why meditation works, and really about the building blocks for what makes us stronger to get through this thing we call life. So please join us at bbgtv.org and take advantage of all we have to offer. Thanks again for listening.